Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of tithing, and in this program I would just like to tie up some loose ends on this subject. I've been teaching on this subject for seven programs so far, and today is the eighth program. And so to begin with, I'd like to talk about some of the passages that people think of when it comes to the subject of tithing, just to tie off some loose ends and bring this subject to a close. I certainly am not going to be able to address every concern that people have. I'm not going to be able to address every potential scripture passage that somebody may point to in order to respond or deal with this subject. I'm not going to be able to do that. In general, when I present a subject like this, I do get responses, and those responses are sometimes these other outline esoteric passages or examples or stories that people give, and I certainly cannot address all of them. What I would like you to consider are those that I have addressed that are plain, that are obvious, that establish the foundational theme of the subject of tithing. But in this program, I'd like to start with Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, the Lord Jesus speaks about tithing. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. He says that you should have done those things. You should have tithed in that way. And you should have also paid attention to the other aspects of the law and done all of the law. Now, people will look at this and say, you see, Jesus says we need to tithe. Well, he told the Pharisees and the scribes that they needed to tithe. And he was right. If I was there, if I was the Lord Jesus, I would tell them the same thing. Absolutely. They needed to do that. They were responsible to do that. They were obligated to do that. And the reason why was because they were under the old covenant. The covenant was in effect up until the point that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And at that point, the new covenant went into effect. When he was speaking to these people, he was telling them to obey the Old Covenant. Now, please understand that this is one of the best ways to encourage a person to live. If they are not going to live by faith, encourage them to live by the law. Why? Because eventually they will discover that they cannot obey all of the commandments. And that is the context here, that Jesus is clearly telling the people that they have to obey all of the commandments, all of them. And they are to be encouraged to obey all of them, even after the new covenant goes into effect. For those who are unwilling to receive the grace and mercy of God, they should still try to obey all of the commandments because the purpose of that pursuit 
The purpose of that type of a lifestyle is to lead an individual to the point of despair, absolute despair, so that they will recognize that they have absolutely no hope outside of the grace and mercy of God. Another common section in the scriptures that people like to refer to when it comes to the subject of tithing is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, the Apostle Paul speaks about a collection. Beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I arrive. He asked them to collect money every week so that he won't need to take up a huge collection when he arrives to have the money ready. Now, people look at this and they say, you see, he was expecting the people to give a tithe every week. But that's not what he said. That's not what he's doing. If you keep reading into verse 3, he says, When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. He was collecting money as a contribution, as a gift, to present to the saints in Jerusalem, who were definitely having a very difficult time there because of the persecution that they were experiencing because of their faith. That's all that it is. It's nothing more than a collection for a specific purpose. There's nothing wrong with that. But to call that a tithe, that's not what it says. It's something else. There is nothing wrong with collecting money for those who have a need. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But to assume that he is giving a directive or a command for something that he's not, I think is a poor assumption. I don't think it's a good idea to assume that, especially because he does not say tithe. And in addition to that, he said nothing about the Levitical priesthood who would be the recipients of the tithe. If he was talking about a tithe, he would be speaking about the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood were there. They were functioning. They were operating, certainly not to the fullest extent that the law required, but they were in existence. There was a priesthood that you could present your offering to. And so considering these details, I personally, I do not see tithing in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 at all. I just, I don't see it there. Now, people often look at this and say this is the instruction or the guidance that people refer to in order to encourage folks to take up a collection every week or to give every week. This leads me to another question, and that is with regards to how do we give? How do we contribute? And this has to do with timing. How often do we give? Should we give once a week? Should we give twice a week? Should we give once a month? And I have to be honest with you that according to the law, you only gave twice a year. And so apart from this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which refers to every week, there really isn't any instruction in the law concerning when you are to give except for when you harvest. Like I said earlier, The two festivals, the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Tabernacles, were convenient times to deliver your tithe. And so if you presented your tithe twice a year, then that would be understandable. That would be recognizable. But people can give any time they want. They don't have to give during those times of the year. They can give any time they want in whatever way they want as long as they give the proper amount. So I cannot give you any specific instruction concerning how often you should give to anyone. I can't do that. 
There are a lot of people who contribute to the work that I do, and some people give on a weekly basis, some people give on a monthly basis, some people give on an annual basis. And from my point of view, it really doesn't matter. I'm in this for the long haul. I can plan a year or two in advance. And so if a person wants to give once a year, I am able to estimate what I am able to accomplish with those resources. I'm able to draft out a budget and do the work that the Lord has given me to do. And so from my point of view, it doesn't really matter. For other people, they have different kinds of responsibilities. They have a budget that they have to meet on a regular basis. They have a payroll that they have to meet on a regular basis. I don't have those kinds of things. I have different kinds of things that allow me the flexibility to be able to receive and manage donations whenever I receive them. However, for others, they do depend on a schedule. They do depend on a more finite schedule in terms of how they conduct the ministry that they are involved in and how they pay their expenses. Different ministries operate in different ways. And so the only thing that I can suggest is that if you find an organization that you would like to contribute to or a person that you would like to contribute to, just ask them. Ask them what would be best in terms of the schedule of contributions that you would like to make. Now, this also depends on you because people budget their own personal finances in a different way. Some people find it much easier to give a contribution once a year than to give a contribution once a month. People manage their money in different ways. Some people prefer to give every week. It really depends on an individual's budget as much as it depends on the organization or the person that they are contributing to. The point is, is that there is no specific set of instructions that we can look to. You have to consider the people who you are giving to and you have to consider the way that you personally plan and manage your own finances. So how often do you give? It just depends on who you want to give to, how you manage your money, and how the people that you want to help manage their money. And you have to consider that as an individual circumstance. The next question that I would like to address is how much should a person give? Well, when I use that word should, you have to be very careful with that. Because if I say you should give, then that means that you are obligated to give. And I do not believe that anyone is obligated to give anything to anybody. I really don't. I really don't believe that we are under any obligation, according to the New Covenant, to give any of our resources to anyone. And so if somebody says you should or you have to or you need to or you ought to or anything like that, I personally just don't share in that. If you want to give and contribute and help people do the work of the ministry, then do it. And if you don't, then don't. That's it. Don't do it because you feel like you're obligated to. What kind of a contribution is that? Don't do it because you feel guilty or you're afraid that God is going to hurt you in some way. What kind of a contribution is that? Give what you want to give and rejoice. Be happy. Be thankful. Consider it to be an opportunity. Don't consider it to be a burden. Now, some people like to give 10% just because it's tradition for many people. Some people would prefer to give 5%, and other people prefer to give 20% of what they are able to produce or what they are able to acquire with their income. At this point, it doesn't matter whether it's produce or income or savings or where it comes from. This type of giving has nothing to do with any of that. If you have resources that you would like to share with someone else so that they can do the work of the ministry, then do that. And if you don't, then then don't. 
My point, though, is to say that you are the one who needs to decide how much you want to give to someone else. Now, whatever you do, make sure that if you do contribute to someone, that you have the money to give. Don't borrow the money and give it to somebody to do the work of the ministry. You should give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have, and certainly not according to what you think God is going to give you in return for what you give. So that is one principle that I definitely believe we should consider, and that is that if you are going to give something, make sure you have something before you give it. I think that's perfectly reasonable. What do you have? Well, what you have depends on your production, your productivity, your income, and your consumption. You produce and you earn, and then you consume. You consume electricity, you consume water, you consume food, you consume other types of energy, you consume and you produce. And when you take the difference of the two, if you produce a certain amount and you have that reflected as a number that we might describe as income, and then you consume a certain amount that would be described as another number, all you do is you take your income, you subtract your consumption, and that's what you've got left over. And with what you have left over, you decide what you are going to do. You should certainly save some of that. And if you want to give some of that to the work of the ministry, then do that. But I personally do not believe that we should be thinking about this in terms of percentages. You should just be thinking in terms of what you have and what you would like to share. Now, if you would like to give more, then there are one of two possibilities in this situation. The first possibility is that you might be able to increase your productivity or your income. If you increase your income and your consumption stays the same, then you will have more left over and you can take a part of that and you can contribute to the work of the ministry. If you are not able to increase your productivity or your income, you can reduce your consumption. You can lower your standard of living. And if you do that, then you will have more to give. But this is a personal decision that you need to make. You need to decide what kind of a lifestyle you want to live. You need to decide what you are willing to give up so that others can do the work of the ministry, so that others can hear the gospel. You have to decide these things, and I believe that this is how the decision should be made. Other people believe differently, and I will not argue those things. There are a lot of people who I respect very highly who say you are to take your gross income, you are to take off 10% and figure out how you are to live on the rest. I don't share that belief. I don't encourage people to do that. And I would be surprised if they would encourage people to do what I just described. This is a personal experience. And regardless of what I think or what anyone thinks, you have to ask the Lord what he would have you do. Do not underestimate the importance of this. You are his servant. You are not my servant. You are not anyone else's servant but his. You must look to him as your Lord, as your master, and ask him what he would have you do. And whatever he encourages you to do, you do it. And if he doesn't give you any direction, if he doesn't encourage you with regards to this, then you decide. You decide what you want to do. And I am confident that he will honor that regardless of whether you decide to help others or not. I really believe this. 
Now, when people are focused on the subject of tithing or giving, they're normally concerned about how often or how much. But I believe that the greater concern is not how often or how much. I believe the greater concern is to whom. Who are you going to give this money to? Who are you really going to help? This is the greater concern because you can give to people. It's very easy to do this. You can give to people who are not really helping the cause of the gospel. You can do that. It's very easy to do that. I explained in the first program that those who are teaching tithing today are in general teaching a type of tithing that does not exist in the scriptures. It is a figment of their imagination at best. I do not believe that anyone should give anything to those people at all. I just don't. I don't believe that anyone should contribute to someone who is a professional extortionist. And for those who say that godliness is a means of gain, according to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, they are of a corrupt mind, and other translations call these people perverts. Don't support these people. If you are going to give, give, but do not give to people who don't understand the scriptures, who don't know the Lord, who don't even know the gospel, who disciple people by teaching them to live a life of repentance and obedience as opposed to the inheritance that they have received according to the grace of God. Don't support people who are teaching things that are not true. Don't support people who are telling lies. Don't do that. If you have been doing that and you have discovered that this is the case, then stop and be thankful and move on with your life. If you feel like someone has deceived you or defrauded you in some way, let it go. Forgive and let it go and start anew today and continue to live the life that you have in front of you. Don't get a root of bitterness over this. You know, I have talked about this subject for almost four hours now, and I have spoken about this in a way that no one seems to be addressing. There are many people who believe what I have expressed, but it's very unusual to find anyone to describe this subject in the way that I have. And on occasion, you might have wondered things like, why is it that I have never heard this before? Many of my teachings are like that. A lot of people respond that way. They ask, why have I never heard these things before? Well, my friend, it's really very simple. The answer is very simple. The reason why you have not heard these things before is because people don't support it. That's why. This information, the the teachings that I have provided, the insights that I have shared are not exclusive to me. I don't have exclusivity on these things. These things are available. They've always been available for those who want to take the time and put out the effort to look these things up and explore these things. Anyone can listen to the voice of God and he can reveal these things to them. I'm not the only one who has made an effort to expose the reality of the scriptures in the way that I have. But the fact is that people don't support this kind of work. It's very unusual for people to support this kind of work. I don't have a large donor base. I really don't. I have a very small donor base. I have hundreds of thousands of people 
following my work, but if I was to calculate how many people are giving to my work who are listening to my work, I would need scientific notation to describe it. It's somewhere between 10 to the minus 4 and 10 to the minus 5 in terms of how many people actually help. And so this is the issue. If you want teaching like this to be available to other people and to be presented to other people, it would help if you would help. If you would help provide the resources that is necessary to distribute this material. And if you don't have any resources, then you help distribute this material. You tell other people about the free audio files that I have available on my website. You burn audio CDs and hand them out. You help. If you're not able to contribute to me in a financial way, you can help me with your labor. You can do that. You don't need my permission for that. That is what I do. You want to help me with what I do? That's what I do. You help. You do it. It's as simple as that. Why is it that it's so difficult to find people who will help to support the work of this kind of ministry? The reason why is, first of all, because there is a significant amount of competition, a huge amount of competition. There are many people who are willing to contribute to the work of the ministry. The problem is, is that most of them have been captured by professional extortionists, and they are giving to them instead of giving to those who are not willing to extort money from them. That's the nature of the competition and why it's so difficult for people like myself to get any help from anyone. Because those who are willing to lie to you, those who are willing to threaten you, are able to get your attention a lot easier than I can. They are able to get people to contribute to them a lot more than I can because people are afraid, because they are terrified. The people who do that to others don't care about the truth. They only care about paying their bills. They only care about meeting their obligations. And they will lie and they will steal and they will commit fraud. They will happily do whatever it takes in order to meet their budget. I'm just not that kind of a person. And so because of that, it's more difficult to find people to help me do the work that I'm doing. That's the way things are. There are a lot of people who are willing to give, but most of that money ends up going to other people because the givers are afraid. That's why it's so difficult to find folks to help with the work of the ministry. Now, please understand that God does not need your money. He doesn't need your money. He wants you. That's what he really wants. If he has not done a work in your heart to the extent that you would like others to know him like you do, then don't give anything. But if he has done a work in your heart to the extent that you do want others to know him as you do, then help. Contribute to that. Do some of this work yourself. Get involved, participate, reduce your consumption or increase your income. Do something, make some changes so that you can be a participant in what God is doing. He is doing the work of the ministry and there are people like myself who are following his instruction, who are following his directives that he has given individually to people like myself. 
The work that he has given me to do is apparently a unique type of work that only I am doing at this time, as far as I can tell. Others are doing different kinds of work, and they are able to reach people that I cannot. It's important to listen to your God concerning this and let him guide you and let him lead you. But regardless of what you decide, do not do it out of guilt and do not be guilty for what you do not do. You must remember that your focus as a believer, as a child of God, is to get to know your God. Your focus is to know him, is to discover more of who he is and to know the one who he has sent, the Lord Jesus. That is why you are here. Now, one of the most common problems that people face after hearing a series of programs on this subject, on the subject of tithing, is that people will go into their check registers, they will check their bank statements, and they will look at the history of their finances. And they will calculate, you might calculate, how much money you have given to people who you now would not give to under any circumstances at all. I would like to encourage you not to do that. I would like to suggest that you do not do something like that. I know that many people get very angry because of the way that they have been deceived and because of the way that they have been extorted throughout their lives. If this has happened to you, or if this is now beginning to happen to you, don't let it get to you, my friend. Don't worry about that. Whatever you do, do not let this keep you from contributing to the work of the ministry that God is doing. If you need some time off, if you need a break, if you just need some time to get over the fact that you were deceived, then do that and enjoy that. But when the Lord heals your heart concerning this matter, then return to him for who he is. And if you can find someone who is teaching the truth, by all means, help them do that. Do not let the enemy delay you for too long because of the anger, of the disappointment, of the depression that you might experience because of this revelation. Know the truth and be at peace and live the life that your God has given to you. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,